Hello and welcome to another throwback episode. So over the last year, we've gotten a lot of new listeners and we're adding these throwback episodes so those new listeners can see some of our older content. Uh, but before I start, I have two disclaimers. So first, these were early episodes, so please be kind <laughs> when it comes to understanding that the sound quality might not be that great. But despite the sound quality, the content is still solid, so that's why we want to bring it back and reshare this content, because there's still some good gems in there. In addition to the sound, we were still trying to find our voice with regard to the uh, format that we wanted to use. Our newer episodes are put together in a much more organized and efficient manner. So if you are a new listener and you're looking at this and you're saying to yourself, hmm, this seems unrefined, it probably is because it is <laughs> unrefined and you should check out our Monday episodes to see our more refined work. Um, secondly, not all of the promotions from these episodes are still active, but all of the freebies that we mention are still active. Lastly, make sure you go to the website and download our Ultimate Negotiation Guide, or you could do it by clicking the link in the description. Um, the link that we're sending you to is www.americannegotiationinstitute.com slash guide. Again, that's AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide. This is a 19-page free guide. Uh, it's actually, I guess that's more like a, an e-book, <laughs> really. And uh, this guide will walk you through your most difficult conflicts and negotiations. And it includes our three most popular freebies, the Salary Negotiation Guide, the Negotiation Preparation Guide, and the Conflict Resolution Guide. So make sure you take the time to download this as soon as possible. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiation for Entrepreneurs. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you how you can use negotiation and persuasion to get more of what you want and how to make the difficult conversations in your life easier. Before we start this episode, I'd like to give a couple of listener shout outs. I'd like to give a shout out to Naima from Pittsburgh and Baron from New York City. Thank you both for reaching out. You know, I love hearing from all of you. So if you haven't yet, please connect with me on LinkedIn. There's a clickable link in the episode description that takes you straight to my LinkedIn page. So just connect and I'll shoot you a message. I really want to hear what kinds of topics interest you and LinkedIn is the easiest way for me to connect with you. And for those of you who are looking for the free negotiation guides from previous episodes, like the negotiation prep guide, the introvert negotiation guide, or the salary negotiation guide, or the car negotiation guide, those links are all in the description as well. So today is going to be another fun episode. It is a solo episode and we're going to talk about gift giving. And so gift giving is a surprisingly complex topic. You have to consider the message you send to the recipient with your gift. You also need to consider the message you send to the people who are around you with the gifts you give to other people. And what's really funny about this is that as I did more research on this topic, it just exposed what I already knew. I'm really bad at gift giving and especially gift receiving. I mean, really, really bad at this. And um, so I'll share some of my stories as we go through this episode. So what we're going to do is we're going to start off with some barriers to successful gift giving. And then we are going to move on to how to give a good gift. And then we're going to wrap this up by talking about how to be a good gift recipient. So 
Barriers to gift giving. Let's start off with biases. Before we get into biases, I want you to remember that biases aren't always negative. They're positive biases too. So think about the sports teams you like. You have a positive bias towards those teams. Um, that's why almost every parent thinks that their baby is the smartest, cutest baby in the world because they are biased towards their child. The biggest issue with gift giving is that we filter our perspectives on how good a gift is through our own biases. So we often find ourselves giving gifts that we would find interesting or we would like. So for example, I might think the book Getting to Yes is a great stocking stuffer for everybody, but I need to keep reminding myself that not everyone thinks like me. One of the biggest mistakes we make is that we get people gifts that are based on our assumptions, and those assumptions may not even be true. So I just finished a book called Give and Take by Adam Grant. It's a really cool book that talks about generosity and how you can use generosity to be more persuasive and use generosity to advance your career in general. In that book, he mentioned this really interesting study about gift registries. And so people put up these gift registries for their weddings and they say, hey, I want this thing like a blender, a microwave, et cetera, et cetera. And so people get the things that are on the gift registry, or at least they're supposed to. A lot of times people think that they're going to be super special and buy something that's off the gift registry because they want to be unique. And surprise, surprise, the studies show that people don't like it when you do that. Yeah, guilty as charged. I do that all the time. I'm like, oh, I'm going to give them something really cool. I remember the last, <laughs> the last wedding I went to, I got somebody like four hours of time with a virtual assistant, my virtual assistant, who is awesome. And I was like, oh, you all are busy professionals. You could use this. Did they ever use it? No, because it wasn't on their registry. And so think about what's going through their mind when they go through the registry and then they see your gift that's not on the registry. Are they going to say, oh my gosh, you know my unspoken desires better than I do? No, that's not how they're going to react. They're probably going to force a smile and say thank you. But in the back of their mind, they're going to be thinking with the voice of Mufasa saying, you deliberately disobeyed me. You know, they put the gift registry together for a reason. That's what they wanted. And you went off of the registry and got them something that you probably wanted. So let's say, hypothetically, even if you manage to get a good gift when somebody specifically asked for something else, there's still going to be some negative feelings because it shows that you either, one, weren't listening, or two, you didn't respect their wishes enough to give them what they wanted. So... Here's the tip. Get people what they ask for. Shocker. And you know how these episodes go when they're solo episodes. We start off with simple points and then we're going to build on this. So this is an easy way to win gift giving. Give people what they ask you for. Another bias that we have to push through when we're trying to give a good gift is that we focus too much on what the recipient is like versus what they would like. And so that's a little bit complex. So I'll say it again. We focus too much on what the person is like instead of what they would like. So for example, my wife is a doctor. So I could buy Whitney a new stethoscope or something like that, a custom stethoscope with her name on it. But not surprisingly, uh, when I looked at the list that she sent to me, there was nothing doctor related on it, nothing at all. So Whitney is a doctor. And so that might bias my gift giving to what she is, but that might not be what she wants. So focus on what somebody actually wants, not what they are as a person. Another mistake we make is that we don't think about the signals we're sending with our gifts. So people can tell what we think of them through the gifts that we give. So think of gift giving like a language. Always ask yourself, what am I saying to the recipient with my gift? 
Also remember that gift giving doesn't exist in a vacuum. People don't just focus on the gifts they receive. They focus on the gifts they received in comparison to what those around them received. So for example, like I said before, I'm married. So what signal am I sending to my wife if I get my mother a gift that's more expensive than the gifts I get for Whitney? That's not good. (laughs) That is not good at all. Um, Sometimes we give gifts because we want someone to fix something that we perceive as a deficiency about themselves. So again, let's say you are, are in a relationship and you get your significant other a gym membership. (laughs) that's not a good move. Uh, That could be understood to be an act of aggression. Let them get that for themselves in the new year. Here's another example. So what signal are you sending if you give your sister deodorant for Christmas? Yikes, that's rough. (laughs) That's harsh. So always ask yourself, what is the worst signal that they can interpret from my gift? And see if you could live with that negative interpretation. If you can live with the consequences of that signal then go ahead and buy the gift. But always try to take their perspective and understand what they think this gift means. Another interesting problem you might run into is that sometimes your gift might seem disproportionately nice. It may raise suspicions. So they might think to themselves, what does this person want from me? Or what did this person do that they're trying to make up for with this gift? So try to make sure that you have a good understanding of the level of gifting that's going to happen. Because if you overshoot, that could be a problem too. And so that leads into the next thing, expectations. We need to make sure that both the gift giver and the recipient are on the same page with regard to the kinds of gifts that will be given. So in general, with relationships, just in general, friendships, uh, romantic relationships, whatever, business relationships too, um, one of the biggest things that destroys these relationships is the violation of expectations. We saw things going one way, the other person sees things going another way, and then without doing it intentionally, we break somebody's heart or disappoint somebody because they have expectations on your behavior that you didn't have for yourself. So it's important to be explicit with these. So if there's an imbalance in gift giving and the gift received, your cheerful holiday gift exchange can turn into a serious source of embarrassment for the recipient. You always want to make sure that there's some kind of parity between the gift that is given and the receiver. So this is called the rule of approximate worth. So one way to handle this is to make an agreement for those people who are going to give and receive gifts as to the total amount you can spend on the gift. Um, Make sure you're explicit. Make sure you are explicit because sometimes people aren't on the same page with regard to the amounts that you agree upon. For example, I think this was the first year Whitney and I were dating. We'd been dating for about eight months, and we were in undergrad at the time, like juniors in undergrad. So we were riding on loan money. We didn't have much money. And so we made an agreement, or so I thought, that we wouldn't spend that much money on each other. And she's like, yeah, that sounds good. We won't spend that much money. Cool. And so (laughs) we clearly had different perspectives on what that meant, because I said, all right, cool. I'm going to go to the used bookstore and buy two used books on medicine. (laughs) Merry Christmas, Whitney. And so then on Christmas Day, I was horrified to see that she bought me some expensive gold jewelry. I was like, Whitney, we're we're on loans and we had an agreement. What are we what are you doing? And so that was really embarrassing. I felt really bad. So immediately after exchanging gifts. I went driving around the city to try and find 
<laughs> something to give Whitney, something more expensive, but everything was closed. So yeah, that was not cool. I spent probably a total of $7 and she probably spent a total of at least $107. So that, that wasn't good. So if you are trying to make an agreement on how much you're going to spend on something, make it explicit using numbers. So everybody's on the same page. I want to go back to giving a really expensive gift because there's another danger in giving a really expensive gift. In negotiation, they always say every ceiling is a new floor. So think of like a salary negotiation. If I negotiate a salary of $80,000, next year, we're not going to renegotiate for $78,000. That's the new floor. There's like a tacit agreement that we're not going to go below that. So if you come with a really, really expensive gift, understand that next time around, next birthday, next Christmas, they're going to be expecting a gift of equal or greater value. This is what I call gift escalation. If you're going to take it to a new level, make sure you can handle the next level next time you're required to give a gift. And now we're going to wrap up this section by talking about giving charitable gifts in the name of others. So this is a trend where people say, well, Kwame has a lot of stuff. He doesn't need anything else. What I'm going to do is I'm going to donate to United Way and say it's from Kwame. In Kwame's name, I'm going to make this donation. So that seems nice. <laughs> However, the science says it might not be as effective as you think. So there was a study that was done to see the value of charitable donations as gifts. And they found that the people would actually prefer to be given something small, even if it's something like a pen or a mug, instead of something like a donation in their name. Because the thing is, people are generally very self-interested. So to the typical self-interested person, what does the charitable donation show? Here's an example. So let's use the words from one of the actual participants. So there was a woman who was married in the experiment, and she said that her husband's charitable donation in her name showed that her husband cared more about the world than he did about me. So charitable donations in somebody else's names really speaks more to your charity than it does to what you think about the recipient as somebody who deserves a gift. So think twice before you make a charitable donation. If I were you, I would only do this if somebody asks for that specifically. If not, your thoughtful gift might be seen as thoughtful to the public, but not as thoughtful to the person in whose name you made that charitable donation. Now we know what not to do. So now let's talk about what we should do. So here are some keys to successful gift giving. I want to use this psychology that we know to maximize the gifts that we're going to give. So the characteristics of the perfect gift is something that is wanted, needed, deserved, and appreciated. So again, that is something that is wanted, needed, deserved, and appreciated. And when you're giving this gift, don't only consider what's inside the wrapping. Consider the presentation too. This is another thing that I'm really bad at. So here's my problem. I'm a guy that's just all about utility. So when you see like my room, my office, there's nothing on the wall. There are no pictures. There are no awards. There are no degrees. There's nothing. I don't like distractions. I don't like clutter in my working space. And the same thing pretty much at home. So if somebody gives me a gift, I'm not that interested in the wrapping. You could just hand me the gift and I'll be like, oh, thank you. I see the utility in the gift that you gave me. Um, so I think other people think this way. So I just put gifts in random bags <laughs> that might not even be gift bags. It might be like a plastic bag and um, hand it to the person and say, Merry Christmas or Happy Birthday or something like that. I'm not good at presentation. 
And this is a mistake because I'm missing out on some really important psychological value that I can give people. And what makes this really funny is that I understand this when it comes to interpersonal persuasion in the business world. Because when it comes to persuasion, your personal wrapping matters. What you wear and how you present yourself is persuasive by itself. This reminds me of an interesting study that was done on jaywalkers. And so for our international listeners, uh, jaywalking is when you break the law by crossing the streets at a time when it's illegal. So if you have somebody that's dressed normally jaywalk, very few of the people standing next to her will jaywalk. But if that same person is dressed like she's going to a business meeting, more people will follow her. She never said anything, she just presented herself differently, and more people found that persuasive. And so the same thing happens with our gift wrapping. So think about your favorite Christmas. Close your eyes and think about the best Christmas. Most likely what you thought about was getting down there and unwrapping the presents. Your memory might not even include what the actual present was, but you remember the process. Seeing the gift wrapped nicely, picking it up, and tearing that wrapping off. And so what's happening is there's dopamine building through every step of this process. So as a kid, not just as a kid, as an adult too, you see the gift. And so you're wondering what this gift is. And as the anticipation builds, so does the level of dopamine. And dopamine is the neurotransmitter in the brain that provides you with feelings of pleasure. So as you are anticipating opening this gift, the level of dopamine in your system rises. And then it peaks right as you are opening the gift. And then there's satisfaction. You open the gift and it starts to go down as soon as you see what the gift is. And so thoughtful presentation of your gift should be considered part of the gift as a whole. By paying attention to the presentation, you're really maximizing the amount of positive vibes you're giving to the person because you're maximizing the amount of dopamine that they're feeling. The next thing I want to talk about with regard to gift giving is the idea of singularization. When you're giving somebody a gift, you want it to be customized in a way that demonstrates your understanding of and attention to the hopes and the desires of somebody else. So this makes the gifts that are not personalized inappropriate and almost worthless in personal relationships, no matter how expensive it was. So to my example, if I give people 25 of my favorite negotiation books, and I give that same gift to all of my other friends, it's not going to be as valuable, even though I spent a lot of money on it, because it wasn't done with them in mind. I was thinking more about me, and I wasn't thinking about them in particular. When people receive a gift, they want to know that you care about them as a person and what makes them uniquely them. So the best gifts are the ones that allow you to give the person exactly what they want in a way that matches these characteristics of something that's wanted, needed, deserved, and appreciated, but adds a little bit of personal flair without taking away from the rest of it. And if you can strike that balance, you've picked out the perfect gift. Also, when it comes to gift giving, don't always think that more is more. <laughs> Sometimes less is more. So there were several studies that demonstrated that people average the value of the gifts that you give. So what does this mean? It means that if you give an expensive gift and then you give a few small, unimpressive gifts, it decreases the overall perceived value of the gift-giving experience with the person because they average the value of the gifts. So if you give a $100 gift, and then you give two $10 gifts, people are going to average that out, and it'll be less impressive to them. However, 
if you just give one big gift and that's all, the average of that one big gift is a higher value. So you would actually be better served doing that. Now, let's say if you've already picked out these mini gifts and you're like, Kwame, what should I do? (laughs) I already have these gifts picked out. Never fear. I have a solution. So in negotiation, one thing you want to do is you want to disaggregate gains and aggregate losses. So what do those big words mean? So if I'm telling somebody bad news, something bad, I, I want to do it all at one time to minimize the amount of time they are exposed to this negative stimulus. However, the opposite is true for good news. So if I have something good, I want to spread this thing out because I want them to experience a greater amount of positivity. So here's an example in my everyday life. Uh, what I do is if I decide to clean up at home or do something good around the house, um, I wouldn't tell Whitney in one text, hey, I cleaned the bathroom, I cleaned the kitchen, I cooked, and I cleaned the living room all in one go. She'd be like, hey, thanks. Instead, what I do is I send these texts incrementally. So I would say, hey, Whitney, I cleaned the kitchen. And then I would wait an hour. Hey, Whitney, I cleaned the bathroom. Then I would wait an hour. Hey, Whitney, I cooked. (laughs) You know, and I just spread it out. And so she feels more positively about my contributions for a longer period of time. So in terms of gift giving, what I would suggest, if you've already bought those small gifts, I would give them as surprise gifts early. And so they're like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. That's nice. Thank you so much. And then you just say, if you like this, you know, it's going to get better on the 25th. And then a couple days later, you give another small gift. Oh, my goodness. I wasn't expecting this. This is really cool. And then it's like, well, there might be another one. Who knows? Or maybe there's another one just coming on the 25th. And then you give them another one. And so you're spreading out the enjoyable interaction over a longer period of time. And then it culminates in one big gift. So on the actual gift giving day, you're focused entirely on the big gift. And your average, the average value isn't taken down by those little gifts. And this ties in nicely to the primacy and recency effect. So this literature comes out of memory. People remember things that happen closer to the beginning or closer to the end. So those things that happen in the middle are often forgotten. So if I were to give you a list of random things to remember, you will remember the random things at the beginning and the random things at the end, but it will be really tough to remember those random things that are tucked in the middle. So with regard to gift giving, what is the relevance? I suggest that you give your best gift either really early or really late in the gift giving process. So that means if you're, let's say it's a family gathering and there are four, six, eight of you, push the receipt of your gifts to the beginning or to the end. However, if I were you, I would prefer to wait till the end and make it the last one. So not only does the recipient remember, but also the other people who are at the gift exchange will remember it as well. It also increases the anticipation for your gift, which gives you the opportunity to increase the amount of dopamine in their brain as they anticipate this gift. And so you could do this one of two ways. You could just say, as they reach for your gift early or in the middle of the gift giving process, say, wait, no, 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 save that one for the end. Or you could be super dramatic and you could say, after after the entire process is over or during the process, you could let them know that there's another gift, but it's not down here yet. And we'll uh, I'll bring that out at the end. And so they're wondering, hmm, I wonder what that gift is. Um, intrigue. And anticipation really ramps up the amount of dopamine in people's brain. So play that up as much as you can. Another interesting effect of this is that 
When you tell them that a big gift is coming at the end, throughout the entire process, as they're opening other gifts, they are thinking about your gift that's coming. They're always wondering, hmm, I wonder what she got me. Then when it's finally time for them to open their gift, the dopamine levels will be at an all-time high. And the beautiful thing about it is that their entire attention will be focused on your gift. Because at this time, they since they've already opened all the rest, they're not anticipating anything else, just the gift that you have. So let's say you're giving a gift to somebody that's picky. You know this person is really picky. Typically, according to these studies, somebody who's picky will likely get one of two things. They will either get exactly what they want, or they will get some kind of gift card so that that person can make the choice for themselves. Actually, going deeper into these studies, they also show that we typically spend less time shopping for picky people because we know it's going to be one of those two options. Either you do what you're told and get them what they want, or you get them a gift card and let them handle it themselves, which is actually not that bad a situation. That makes your job pretty easy, and it relieves pressure on the gift giver, which is you. So gift cards are one of the best gifts you can give somebody. It has the practical functionality of cash, but when you are receiving a gift card, you almost feel obligated to spend it on gift-like things. Of course, if you wanted to, you could use it to buy mundane things, but it almost feels like a misuse of the gift, so you feel obligated to ball out on some frivolous stuff, which is fun for them. Psychologically speaking, people feel less guilty when buying something with a gift card when compared to spending their own money on debit cards, credit cards, or cash. If you decide to go the route of getting a gift card, get a gift card that is more general than specific. For example, I'm not a handy person. You know, I don't fix things in my house. Whitney, she's a doctor. She has that sciencey background. She likes figuring stuff out. I like paying other people to do that for me because it frustrates me to no end. So if somebody were to give me a gift card to Lowe's, I would have no idea what to do with it. So if you're going to get a gift card, the best gift card to get is something that's really general, like a Visa gift card or a gift card to a store that has a lot of options like Target or Walmart. Uh, because numerous studies have demonstrated that gift cards that are very specific actually take longer to be redeemed and they're more likely to never be redeemed by the recipient. So what if the person that you're buying for didn't tell you what they wanted? I'll give you a couple negotiation techniques that are super, super, super simple uh, that you can use right now to get this information out of them. So option one, ask them. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> Always ask with an open-ended question like we mentioned before. What would you like for Christmas? Now, if they're difficult and they say, whatever you get me is fine because they don't want to feel greedy, you can move on to plan B, which is reality testing. So if you had to pick the perfect gift that's within my price range, what would it be? If they are still reluctant to say something, you can move on to plan C, which is guessing. Yes, high-level negotiation technique here, but shockingly simple and shockingly effective. And so you could say, hey, I'm at Target right now. I'm looking at skinny jeans. Is this what you want? <laughs> and this is a guess that is intentionally structured to get a no. Remember in uh, our episode with Chris Voss how he said you want to get to a no eventually um, so you can figure out what people's limits are? This is one of those examples of guessing in a way that's structured to be a no. And so then, of course, they say, no, I don't want freaking skinny jeans for Christmas. Then you can say, okay, so what would you like? What did you have in mind? If they keep being difficult, 
you can ask a specific question. Which section would you suggest going to? Now, now you've given somebody alternatives. The open-ended questions weren't working, so now we've narrowed it a little bit by giving some options. And then they say, okay, electronics, great. So would you like an iPad, an Xbox, something like that? Again, we're using a closed-ended question that's a guess that's designed to get a no. They say no, then you're like, okay, so what should I get? Now again, we've gone back to the open-ended question because it's designed to give them free reign within the parameters that we've created through the series of questions. So what should I get? We've already narrowed down our options to the store of Target, to the Department of Electronics, and something that is not an iPad or an Xbox. And now we can effectively get to the point where they tell us what they want for Christmas. If you're trying to give a gift that's meant to foster a stronger relationship with the person, consider getting a gift that's more experiential. For example, if you're trying to get closer to somebody, give a gift that's in line with the criteria we mentioned before, but one that allows you and the recipient to experience something special together. What's really interesting about this is that experiential gifts strengthen the relationship more than material gifts, even if you aren't there to experience the thing with the person. It still has those added benefits. So when I say experiential gifts, I'm talking about gifts that are not material. Gifts that require somebody to get up and do something. So something like a cruise, if you have the, <laughs> if you have the money to float that one, or a tour of the city, or something like that. Something that is going to be experienced, not used. So you know how people always say money can't buy happiness? There are a couple caveats to that. So the first caveat is, in America, money can buy happiness up to about sixty or $70,000. Then it pretty much plateaus after that because you don't have typical financial stressors. The other caveat is that money and things can't buy happiness, but experiences can make you happy. And money can buy experiences, and those experiences then can make you happy. And so this is one of those examples where something that's a little bit material can actually genuinely increase somebody's happiness. Okay, so let's wrap up this episode by talking about how to be a good recipient. So judging by what I said before, you can tell that I'm not so big on material things. For example, the last few Christmases, what I asked my family to give is something that I never get. But I tell them, listen, we have two options for gifts for Kwame. We have plan A. Plan A is get me nothing. Okay, if you are for some reason unable to execute plan A, we'll move to plan B, which is give me cash that I can use to put into my business that I can use to turn into more cash. That would be cool. Those are your two options. Do I get either of those things? No, um, because the thing about gift giving is that even though it should be about the recipient, when you are giving a gift, it's typically more about you. Psychologically speaking, it's the giver, not the recipient, that gets the biggest psychological gain from the gift exchange. We do this because it feels good. When you give a gift, you feel a sense of accomplishment. We also strengthen our relationships with the other person through gift giving. And this is something that we've been doing for thousands of years as humans. Um, it's also a way that we show people that we care and let's not forget, too, if we are giving gifts in a scenario where other people will see the gifts that we give, there are significant social benefits by giving good gifts because it reflects well on you socially and can increase your social standing in the group. Similarly, sometimes people give gifts in order to trigger the norm of reciprocity. 
So have you ever wondered why companies send you Christmas cards and little trinkets in the mail? It's to create a feeling of indebtedness so they're more likely to get you as a customer. It's marketing. And that's how people often operate in one-on-one relationships. Maybe it's a situation where you want a job in the future and this person is a decision maker and then you get that person a gift. You're not doing that because you really care about that person. You care about what that person can give down the road. And psychologically speaking, with regard to the norm of reciprocity, that works even if the person doesn't want a gift. If you are like, no, 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 don't give it to me. and they give it to you anyway, there is that social pressure. We feel like we are indebted to that person and we need to give something back in order to alleviate that that psychological debt. So what does all this mean? It's likely that if you prevent people or try to prevent people from giving you gifts, you're preventing them from having the opportunity to feel good about themselves. You're preventing them from having the opportunity to think about you more in your absence. Furthermore, you're preventing them the opportunity of liking you more. And so, well, I didn't see that last one coming. Tell me more, Kwame. So there's this thing called the Benjamin Franklin effect. And it's the idea that if somebody gives you a gift, they subsequently like you more because our actions inform our thoughts. It's often not the other way around. So what does this mean? So if I give somebody a gift... Psychologically, I now need to justify my action. Why did I give Kwame a gift? I gave Kwame a gift because I like him. So when we give people gifts, when we give people things, we end up liking them more because we have to justify our behavior to ourselves. So if we prevent somebody from giving us a gift, we're missing out on the opportunity of having them like us more. So after doing all this research, what I've come to is that it seems as though the best way to be a good gift recipient is to make it easy for people and let them know exactly what you want. So here's a question I can hear you all asking. How do I ask for what I want for Christmas without sounding selfish? That is a good question. So sometime next year, I'm going to have somebody on the podcast come in and talk to you about the power of telling stories, but I'm going to give you a brief primer right now. So I call this the Trojan horse method of persuasion. So you take your little persuasion soldiers and you wrap it up in a story because Humans have communicated through stories for thousands of years. And whenever somebody tells a story, we can't help but listen. That's how we communicate the best. So when you tell somebody a story, they eagerly accept the story and your persuasion soldiers get into their brain and go to work. So here's a story that you can tell in this situation. So I was listening to this podcast on negotiation and the guy was talking about the power of gift giving. And he mentioned a study where they surveyed couples who created a gift registry for their weddings. It turns out that they prefer getting things that are actually on their wedding registry because the most thoughtful thing you can do is show that you listen and care by giving people what they ask for. What a concept. (laughs) And then you can end the conversation right there and let your little persuasion soldiers go to work. And then later in the day or the next day, you can send a text message saying, I don't know if it's too late, but if you're having trouble picking a gift for me, here are a few things that I like. Notice that I didn't say, tell them this. I said, text this. So why? What? What's the difference? The reason why you want to do this is because you want to create a paper trail. 
because if you do this, they can't say that they misunderstood you or they forgot because you took time to write it down in plain English and it's going to be on their cell phone and most likely they have that all the time. So there it is, your holiday guide to gift giving. I hope it was helpful. I know it helped me because after going through all of this, I realized I definitely needed some help. Uh, But before we go into the outro, I want to let you all know that we're ending the year with a bang. We have a big name guest coming onto the podcast on the 26th. So make sure you tune into that episode to learn the keys to persuasive leadership. It's going to be our first episode on leadership, and it's really good with a really great guest. So do you want to know who it is? I could tell you, but I'm not going to do that because I want to build anticipation. I want that teaser to dangle out there to keep you curious. So just keep your eyes out for the next episode and it's going to be a good one. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this holiday season, however you celebrate, and I will catch you in the next one on the 26th. Have a good one. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you find this information helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. My goal is to teach these skills to as many people as possible, and leaving a review helps our search results, which helps us to reach more people. Remember, success and failure is determined by how we handle these critical conversations in our lives. My job is to make these difficult conversations easier while getting more of what you want in the process. I've had the opportunity to provide these negotiation and mediation services to a wide variety of professionals, including lawyers, entrepreneurs, and warring business partners. I do this through a simple three-step process situational analysis, strategy creation, and plan implementation. First, we analyze the situation to get a lay of the land and understand exactly what we're dealing with. Then we use the information from our analysis to create a customized strategy for your situation. And then we work with you to put these powerful strategies into action so you can close the deal or resolve the conflict. If you don't prepare properly, you run the risk of missing out on these critical opportunities. Remember, negotiation is the art of deal discovery, not deal making. I will help you to find the best deal possible, and I'll teach you how and when to walk away from a deal that's bad for you. Sometimes the worst outcome in a negotiation is a deal that never should have been made. When we work together, you'll know that you've put yourself in the best position for success. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email if there's a specific problem or opportunity you'd like to work through. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great week, and I'll catch you in the next one.